This is 91.3 KUAF, and this is Ozarks at Large for Tuesday, March 7th, 2023. I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Matthew Moore. We'll be talking about exercise and nutrition later with a pair of educators preparing to lead an honors college symposium titled Good Medicine. And later, our militant grammarian dives into what is called tip-of-the-tongue syndrome. That's when you can't quite recall the right word for something. Anyway, Catherine Schultz has a collection of words that have been substituted for the forgotten word like disco chicken. I say that all the time. Mm -hmm. We find out what a disco chicken really is called in our second half hour. And we'll start with birds. 20 years ago, the Cornell Lab of Ornithology fledged eBird a richly illustrated, easy-to-navigate, real-time online database for amateur and expert birders to post observations about bird distribution and abundance. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich met with eBird's visual designer, Taylor Long, in Sequoia Woods recently to bring us this story. Taylor Long hikes into Sequoia Woods in Fayetteville this late winter afternoon, birds softly singing in the forest above him. Long works remotely from the Ozarks as a digital designer of the wildly popular website eBird, housed at Cornell Lab of Ornithology. And that means that basically I work on the visual design of the eBird website. So colors, fonts, spacing, you know, I'm thinking about the hierarchy of information and how it helps birders use the eBird website ebird.org opens with a tease that says, Discover a new world of birding. The homepage features exquisite color portraits of birds, enticing visitors deeper into the web portal. Back in 2002, the first version of the eBird database was formed. And the initial idea was to tap into all this information that birders are already out gathering and notebooks and personal spreadsheets and put it all in one centralized database so that we could actually try to you know do science to support conservation based off of that. So in its earliest version it took a while to get off the ground um, but eventually we kind of tapped into the the habits that birders already had in terms of list keeping and comparing how many species they've seen with other people So building tools to manage those lists for people actually got people kind of invested in the project and they started giving more and more and we've seen this kind of rapid upward growth ever since for the last 20 years. And those who sign up on this site are called? eBirders. eBird's homepage provides guidance on how to identify, locate, share sightings, and create working bird lists to share with birders around the world, as well as here on the Ozarks, for example, these tufted titmouse and red cardinals. Long is among 300 staff at Cornell Lab of Ornithology, 30 staff attending specifically to eBird. The whole project is funded by donations and grants, um, as everything is at the lab. Cornell Lab is a member-supported unit of Cornell University in Ithaca, New York, with eBird being a critical project. Most of the information about bird sightings that eBird has is available to the public on the website for free. If you want to start adding your own information and keeping track of your own lists, that's the point where you would need to make an account. But the account is totally free. It's a 
Cornell lab-wide account, so it's shared across all the other projects that the lab offers. And it's free because you're essentially giving back to us. You know, you're contributing your data to support the project. And without that, the project wouldn't work. So, you know, it is, it's our privilege to get the data from birders and to be able to put it together and share it for the rest, with the rest of the world. eBird data gathered by citizen scientists has contributed to hundreds of conservation decisions and peer-reviewed papers, according to the website, as well as thousands of student projects. The information that we're collecting at this scale can really start to be used for powerful kind of global conservation efforts. So a good example in the last couple years, uh, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service recently decided to uh, refine its process for determining where wind power could be built in a way that wouldn't um, harm bald eagles. And they did a review of, I think, five different um, major data sets and concluded that eBird was the best to use for the job because of its breadth, just how wide a coverage it had, and that there was data for every week of the year. So they were able to use eBird data to get a very specific understanding of where bald eagles are likely to be at every time of year and use that to inform where windmills should be built in the future. So it's a good example of how you know, the data, I think it was 180,000 eBirders who submitted bald eagle sightings as part of that data set. That, you know, directly contributed to saving bald eagles, protecting them better with smarter information. Along with the desktop portal, an eBird mobile app enables eBirders in the field to report findings. You can use the mobile app to record all the birds you're seeing around you. And even if you don't have cell access in the moment, whenever you do, you can submit that data back to the database. I like to think the more you start getting out of eBird, the more you want to put back in. And it creates this sort of positive feedback loop that is the reason why it's grown so big. You know, in 20 years, at this point, we've got over 1 billion bird sightings in the database. So that's a lot of birders just going out and looking at birds and having fun, but you can actually use it to do a lot of powerful science. eBirders can search local, national, and international data to track species of interest. Yes, eBird makes it endlessly possible to track lists for every different state, country, province out there. So, you know, birders have a tradition of keeping lists. And it's not just, you know, your life list. It's not just about how many birds you've ever seen in your life, but it's about how many have I seen in Arkansas? How many have I seen this year? And comparing it to how many I saw last year or the year before. So the power of putting your data into eBird is that we can tell you all of that stuff. I can always be reminded of how close I am to seeing the most birds I've ever seen in a year or something like that. They're sort of games almost that we play as birders, and eBird tries to tap into those games and formalize them in the website and the mobile app so that people can have fun with it. Long says eBird helps birders geolocate specific bird habitat. Yeah, one of the powerful research applications for birders <laughs> is understanding where you can find a certain bird. So if I want to go find cerulean warblers in the Ozarks, which is a beautiful breeding bird we have here, 
In eBird, I can see a map of every sighting of Cerulean Warbler that's ever been submitted to eBird, organized by date, color-coded by frequency, so I can really understand the places where people have encountered Cerulean Warblers and go to those places and have a much better chance of seeing them. Long says a fascinating eBird drama has been unfolding on the site this year. There's a beautiful eagle that's found in Asia called a stellar sea eagle. And up until the last year, there had never been one reported in North America. Someone somewhere random in Texas spots one, and eventually people start getting a pin on where this bird is. And throughout Canada and all across the U.S., birders keep spotting this bird and tracking it. So you can see these pins starting to show up on eBird. Eventually, it settles somewhere around kind of the main area for long enough for a lot of people to go find this bird and see it. So you can watch this beautiful story of this one lost bird kind of play out across all these eBird observations. eBirders also track eruptions, spelled I-R-R-U-P-T-I-O-N. For example, the sudden presence of Arctic snowy owls observed in places like Arkansas several years ago. Yeah, snowy owls are one of these, they call them eruptive species, that due to you know, habitat and food availability fluctuations in the sort of northern breeding grounds where they spend most of the summer, sometimes there are these years where there's just this surplus of owls and they come further south than normal in the winter. Arkansas, I believe, only has a handful of records of snowy owls, at least according to eBird eBird members can subscribe to rare bird email alerts. So if chasing rare birds is your flavor of birding, uh, we do have tools that support that. And it can be an interesting way to you know, understand unusual things that are happening in your backyard when it comes to birds. Using observation data uploaded by eBirders, the eBird team is now able to model bird population numbers and locations, starting out with 100 species and today tracking 2,000 species around the world. Just in the last year, we've started actually producing trends for those birds. So in the last 10 years, is, are the numbers increasing or decreasing? The ultimate goal is to do that for every bird on earth. So for any bird anywhere, to have an ongoing monitor of how the population is doing. And we like to say in a sense that we're trying to measure the heartbeat of the planet through birds. Taylor Long is also field leader for Northwest Arkansas Audubon Society. He guides birding expeditions and invites listeners to join. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore. Joining me in the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2 is my friend across the hall, Anna Pope. Anna, welcome. Hello. It's good to be here. Yes. So, Anna, you and I are working on a few different stories talking about child care and specifically child care here in Northwest Arkansas. Um, And we have some stories coming up this week, later this week, um, about child care. And um, my story, which is going to air tomorrow, is talking about how do you find child care? I think that's a perpetual problem for parents um, who, you know, are, are pregnant, are getting ready to have a kid, and they're just like, okay, 
Where do I send this kid off to? So talking about how do you find it and why is it so hard to find childcare? Um, and, and talking about um, folks who have made websites to make this easier for folks to find places to send their kids off to while they're at work or while they need help. Um, so this is what I'm working on. Anna, tell me a little bit about the story that you're working on for child care. Yes. Yeah, so my story is going to be aired the day after yours. Mm-hmm. And it's just talking about growth since I am the growth impact reporter, yep. uh, mainly just focusing on that there are more people here, more children. But this need has also always been established, right? I think it was very much highlighted because of the pandemic, but um, it's just an ongoing conversation now, but especially since more people are here and that and this need is across the state. So kind of having that comparison is incredibly important, but then it's also talking about that Children that are here in Northwest Arkansas are seeing more specific needs as well. And so kind of tying into that. So it's very much this first story, just kind of introducing the subject, talking about the needs. We hear from some primary care um, individuals who work in the field. And so I'm excited to, you know, see how it goes. That's coming up later this week on Ozarks at Large. Thanks, Anna. The Elizabeth Richardson Center is needing your help to break the box. They have a donation drive going through March at any Legacy Bank location or here at KUAF Public Radio. The ERC works to enhance the quality of life for individuals with disabilities in our community. Here's the ERC's Jenna Dare. And we know that we ask for a lot, but it takes a lot. And if this was your child, grandchild, cousin, aunt, whatever, you know, you would want them to be taken care of. All of this information is on our donate page on our website, which is ERCinc.org. Make your voice matter and help the ERC break the box this March in providing everything it needs to continue to serve our community. Find more at KUAF.com. And one note about donations for Break the Box. Organizers are asking that you only drop off donations at any of the locations, including here at KUAF, during normal business hours. Just ahead, when the educators behind next semester's Honors College Symposium, Good Medicine, came to the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio recently, I thought I'd be asking them questions. Yeah, and we (laughs) actually have a couple questions for you, Kyle. Excellent. Bring them. Yes, I want to hear this. Yes. So... Uh, kind of our research in this course is all around health literacy, particularly nutrition and physical activity literacy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to see what your nutrition and physical activity literacy is. Nutrition, exercise, medicine, and a quiz. In about eight minutes right here on Ozarks at Large. KUAF is supported by Little Wing Productions, presenting the Eureka Springs Blues Rock and Funk Festival, featuring Ray Wiley Hubbard and Marsha Ball, June 2nd at the Auditorium. Reserve seats on sale this Friday, March 10th at tickets.thundertix.com. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellum. I'm Matthew Moore. Arkansas lawmakers have advanced a bill putting new restrictions on public restroom usage. Senate Bill 270 would make it a crime for someone to knowingly remain in a bathroom or changing room inconsistent with their sex assigned at birth if a minor is present. Republican Senator John Payton, the bill's sponsor, responded to criticism that the bill would unfairly target transgender people. In my lifetime, I've seen plenty of heterosexual people that tried to peep in windows or or nowadays we have them flying drones. And I think there's multiple reasons why 
we should try to get a little bit of control on this situation when minors are present. And I think this bill does not cover all the situations that many of us would like to cover. The bill would have charged people with a felony on their third offense, though Senator Payton ultimately amended that provision out. State Prosecutor Coordinator Bob McMahon responded to a question from Democratic Senator Clark Tucker as to how law enforcement would determine a person's biological sex. I'm assuming that we could try to get a search warrant to get that information. We could possibly do a subpoena to get medical records. But if, in that case, you know, we would have hip, hip issues. Uh, and then I guess um, those are probably the two main ways I think that we, we, would, we would try to do that. And I guess, of course, you could do a blood test. If passed, Arkansans would face misdemeanor charges for violating the law. The bill passed the Senate Judiciary Committee yesterday and now goes to the full Senate for a vote. The site of Garfield Elementary School might be home to a new charter school after the public school closes its doors at the end of the 2023-24 school year. After a school district decides to sell or lease a public school in Arkansas, an open enrollment charter school has first right of refusal to the closed school's facilities. Organizers of the charter school, temporarily called Garfield Scholars Academy, are scheduled to answer questions and take input at the Garfield City Council meeting next Tuesday. Gary Blackburn the city of Garfield's mayor, says having public input is necessary. It's so very important that we get good community support from the Garfield, the Boca, Gateway, Lost Bridge Village area because that's the pool where students will come from. It's actually part of the application process is that you have to show that you've reached out to the community and got this input from them. When the proposed charter school opens its doors for the 2024 school year, it will continue being Arkansas's longest continually operating elementary school in the state, according to an announcement from the city. The Garfield Scholars Academy will serve the city and its surrounding communities. An amendment to the large package of education legislation called LEARNS was debated by members of the Arkansas Senate Education Committee yesterday. Josie Lenora with our partner station KUAR has more. The amendment adds technical corrections to the 144-page education bill. It also gives teachers facing termination the right to a hearing before a school board and adds an unspecified salary schedule for educators based on years of experience. Republican Senator Breanne Davis presented the amendment to the committee, receiving pushback from Democratic Senator Linda Chesterfield. She was concerned that the new language doesn't specify the amount of money teachers would be given as part of the pay scale. Yeah, the school districts have the ability to make their and own And so salaries. it could range from $5 uh, for credit hours to 500 depending upon the size and the wealth of the district. Several students from the Little Rock School District came to speak against the bill. Every speaker was quelled by the committee's chair, Senator Jane English, who said their comments were not specific enough to the amendment. Little Rock Central High junior Ethan Walker tried to talk about the amendments he wanted to see in the bill. And I'm here to speak about the amendments and how they do not go far enough to tear down and decimate the No, you only the get to speak on the words on the that are in here. I'm sorry, but I you only get to talk about the these amendments. words, not what you'd like to see as an amendment, but what is in the amendment. The bill now goes to the full Senate for a vote before it is signed into law by Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders. In Little Rock, I'm Josie Lenora. This Wednesday, Conexión Negocios Latinos in Springdale is celebrating International Women's Day with the kickoff of their new Intra Latinos program. The entrepreneurship classes are designed to help Hispanic women in northwest Arkansas develop and start their own businesses. Irma Chavez is the founder and executive director of Conexión Negocios Latinos. 
It's so hard when you move from another country and English is not your first language. Also, when you move from another state and you want to start a new business and you don't know where to go, and there is so many places that you need to go to get started your business so that can get confusing. So I think one of the things that we need to break in Arkansas is the language barrier. We have seen women uh, looking to start a business, but the hustle to raise that is too much and too many places that we need really need to create a one-stop shop for that. The kickoff interest session is tomorrow from 9 to 11 a.m. at the CNL office at 2500 West Sunset Avenue in Springdale. For information, E-N-T-R-E, Latinas Kickoff on Facebook. Attorneys for one of the men convicted in the West Memphis 3 case have filed a motion with the Arkansas Supreme Court to not dismiss an appeal to retest DNA evidence. Damien Eccles' attorneys on Wednesday filed the motion weeks after the state's attorney general's office requested the high court to dismiss the appeal, citing a jurisdictional issue. Eccles' attorney argue that the request for new DNA testing will be filed again in a different county if the state's motion is granted. Eccles, along with Jason Baldwin and Jesse Miss Kelly, were convicted in the killings of three eight-year-old boys in 1993. The trio accepted an Alfred plea in 2011, which allowed them to plead guilty while maintaining their innocence. The number 7 Razorback softball team was upset last night in Bogle Park in Fayetteville. Central Arkansas defeated Arkansas 2-1. to one. And the Arkansas Gymnastics regular season will conclude later this week. Number 17 Arkansas will host Minnesota in Bud Walton Arena Friday night. Not Barnhill, but Bud Walton. Arkansas ended the SEC schedule with a victory over number 18 Georgia this past weekend in Athens. And Snoop Dogg is coming back to Northwest Arkansas. The rapper will headline the high school reunion tour at the Walmart Amp on Saturday, July 15th. Also scheduled to appear on the Bill and Rogers, Wiz Khalifa, Too Short, Warren G, and Burner. Last Tuesday, we previewed an upcoming University of Arkansas Honors College Symposium titled Bad Medicine. Tricia Starks, the U of A professor who will lead that symposium, talked with Kyle about some of the history of bad medical practices that will be covered in that symposium. This week, we turn our attention to another symposium from the Honors College, also scheduled for next fall. This one is... Good medicine. I like that name better. <laughs> Late last month, the two associate professors leading Good Medicine came to the Carver Center for Public Radio to talk about their course and to turn the tables on Kyle just a bit by asking him some questions. Jamie Baum, director of the Center for Human Nutrition and associate professor in the Department of Human Science, and Aaron Howie Hickey, an associate professor of exercise science, are merging their fields of study to consider, among other things, the word diet for the symposium. I talked with them about the class, their upcoming public lecture previewing the symposium, and how their good medicine balances the symposium bad medicine. We know Trisha has had this bad medicine seminar for a while, um, and it got us thinking about what good medicine would be. And it's not a new thing. It's been around for a while. Um, and we kind of started off with this quote from Hippocrates. So if we could give every individual the right amount of nourishment and exercise, not too little and not too much, we would have found the safest way to health. 
Um, and that is where we're coming from. So my background is in exercise science and Jamie's background is in food science and nutrition. I can't have one without the other. And so that's kind of our version of good medicine. So where will you take the students? What what will you talk about? So we developed actually a course during the pandemic. Um, it went on for all, around 18 months about nutrition, physical activity, and health. Um, and it was available to all our Kansans. Anyone could zoom in. And we realized there's really a lack of knowledge about like nutrition literacy, physical activity literacy, health literacy. But also, I think, at least for me, when I teach, social media and other outlets in the popular press also fill people with misinformation. And we know like our doctors aren't required to take nutrition or physical activity or exercise science courses in their training. So we think this contributes to this big gap in knowledge. So we want to offer a class to students, sort of put them on this baseline level of nutrition and physical activity information, and we'll work with cooperative extension to have them develop a project that would meet the health or physical activity nutrition need of a county and develop a project and understand the limitations, barriers to getting proper nutrition messaging. That right? <laughs> yeah, and we actually have a couple of questions for you, Kyle. Excellent. Bring them. Yes, I want to hear right. this. Yes. So, uh, kind of our research in this course is all around health literacy, particularly nutrition and physical activity literacy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so, we're going to see what your nutrition and physical activity literacy is. Oh, I if love you have this. any. I know. Let's find out. I love this. All right. I'll ask a question first. Okay. So this is about physical activity. Can I just say I love that this is happening? <laughs> this is I We're teachers. You yes. Know? Yes. Okay. You gotta have a quiz. You okay. gotta pass. Ooh. Maybe. <laughs> um, so do you know what the current US national physical activity guidelines for adults are? Like, do I know what they are? No. <laughs> I mean, do you mean like how many How many minutes of physical activity should you get in a week? In a week, I'm going to say 210 minutes, 30 minutes a day average. That's close. Not quite. Okay. You are actually over the amount. I, I yes. feel comfortably, comfortable being over rather than under. Yeah, so the magic number is 150 minutes. Okay. So 30 minutes, five days a week. Okay. But second question. Mm -hmm. Oh, can I just yes. – is that the same for someone who is 25 as if they were 60? Yeah. Right. Okay, very good. Please continue. Everyone, 150 minutes. Okay. So this one's a multiple choice question. Mm -hmm. So how many minutes in a row of physical activity do you need to do for it to count towards those 150 minutes? So can you do five minutes at a time? Can you do 10 minutes at a time? 30 minutes at a time? Or any minute counts? This is a great question. So I have one of those watches that mm -hmm. keeps track of things. And it seems like it will add – I may be sort of obsessed with my numbers here. It seems like I don't start getting credit till I've gone at least five minutes. And sometimes it seems like it takes seven. So I'm, it's either five or ten. I'm going to say – because I went over last time. I'm going to say it's five. Wrong. Ten? Any minute counts. So in 2018, they updated the guidelines because it used to be 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, 
but there's no real research evidence for why it's 10 minutes. Um, and we know for our health, so we're thinking heart disease, cancer, obesity, uh, any minute counts. So you taking the stairs instead of the elevator, that counts towards your 150 minutes. Oh, see, and I love this because I think this makes it more obtainable for people. Exactly. Because if you thought it was 10, it's like, well, I'm not going to take the stairs because that only gives me two and a half and that won't count. Yeah. Oh, I love this. All right. And what are your nutrition questions? Ooh, I do not feel good about this. <laughs> okay. So, um, I took these questions from the Dietary Guidelines for Americans. They changed a lot in 2020, and the new panel is meeting now to issue the 2025 guidelines. Okay. They come out every five years. So last year, last set of guidelines, they talk about a healthy dietary pattern, mm -hmm. and I think that's a new terminology for a lot of people. Do you know what a dietary pattern is? I don't. Can I guess? Yes. Okay. Hearing that term, I would think this means that you're 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 aiming for something that is a consistently uh, good ingestion of nutrition. So you can't like, oh well, today's a cheat day. I'll eat better tomorrow, and then you slack off on Wednesday. Close. Oh, I, I, so, I live in close, apparently. <laughs> yes. yes. So uh, basically, a dietary pattern in general is looking not just at your day, but maybe, you know, like a week or a month of your intake, all of the calories you consume. So from beverages, from foods, snacks, meals, things like that. And then when we talk about a healthy dietary pattern, that's where you're pretty close. It's really focusing on the foods that have a lot of nutrient density. And that's also a term that's not familiar to a lot of people, but used when we assess nutrition literacy. And that's making sure you have the most nutrients per calorie. So the most bang for your buck. You're mm -hmm. getting a lot of vitamins and minerals for really low calories. I'm going to guess vegetables are at the top yes. of that list. So I'm going to give you a multiple choice question okay. about nutrition density. Mm -hmm. So which of the following foods is considered to be nutrient dense? Regular soda, French fries, and orange or apple juice? Boy, this seems so easy that I feel like I'm about to get an orange. Right. Oh. Yeah. So this was an, an I example. I wanted it to be French fries. I really did, yes. but I didn't think that was. So this was an example of one of the questions from um, the Nutrition Literacy Survey. So we're going to actually assess our students pre and post course to see if like us teaching them and them working with the community to disseminate the information improves their literacy. Okay, let me ask you about that last multiple choice question because it seems like that was a no-brainer. I mean, it wouldn't be regular soda. It wouldn't be French fries. And I could see where maybe you get tripped up on apple juice, but it's got so much sugar and it's juice, not apples. But are there people that wouldn't necessarily? Surely there's not many people who would say French fries or soda. Well, Jamie also explained to you what nutrient yeah. density was. Right. So a lot okay. of people don't okay. understand what nutrient density is, and they think just in terms of calories. Um, and the survey doesn't explain it. It just sort of introduces the term and gives an example of the food and then lists um, a bunch of questions. And I would say, so our kind of previous course that we did during COVID to Arkansans, a lot of people don't really know that juice is mm, you know often interchanged with fruits and it's not usually a hundred percent juice 
Um, and even our students that we have in undergrad, so I teach exercise science students. Most of them are pre-health professionals, so going on to med school, PT school, PA. Um, they take one nutrition class uh, throughout their degree, and I would say their level of nutrition knowledge overall is still pretty limited um, when they go on to be practicing clinicians. And this is easy for me to say who is not a health professional has didn't have to go through all the years of school to get there. But it would seem to me you'd want to know about nutrition because if people are coming to you to see you about health, right, it's, it's, a, it's a holistic thing. It is exercise. It is health. It is smoking and drinking and all these things together. So I think you'd want to know as much as you can. Yeah. So think about kind of the last time maybe you went to the doctor. Mm -hmm. How much does the doctor ask about nutrition and physical activity? My doctor who listens to this show, he often, he always asks about physical activity. Great doctor. Yes. And um, I don't think we have specific questions about nutrition, but when I was first diagnosed with high blood pressure, I asked him why, and he said, part of it's genetics and part of it's what you put in your pie hole, is how he put it. And said, so you got to think about what you're eating. Yeah, and that's great. Like I said, you have a great doctor, whoever's out there listening. He is, yes. But did they tell you what to eat or give specific recommendations? That's where I think a lot of the knowledge gap lies. No. And it may be that he assumes that I would know that an orange is better than French fries. Mm -hmm. But so, I, all right, let me, let me ask you a question. It's not a quiz. But you mentioned that those of us who inform people can often inform myths or incorrectly. What's an example of something that my colleagues and I in the big world have been misinforming people about? I always pick on diet okay, <laughs> um, because of all the diet fads and trends. Um, so I think people get very caught up in specific diets and what's better for you, protein, carbs, macros is a, a big term that's used now. Um, and people get very caught up in those specific things and don't think about their whole dietary pattern. And depending on what their goals are, so if they want to lose weight, at the end of the day, it is total calories. Um, so it's not as big of a deal as what you're eating as you would more recommend a well-balanced diet as opposed to keto or whatever, though. And I'm not a nutrition person. No, okay. <laughs> so I always say um, there's not a one-size-fits-all solution when it comes to diet and nutrition. And I call nutrition, um, actually a former grad student, an N equals one science. It worked for me. Mm. So I'm going to advocate it for it, and it must work for you. So I think, um, you know, People are eager for a magic bullet. <laughs> I think in the dietary world, one doesn't exist. It takes a lot of thought and planning to follow a healthy dietary pattern. And, you know, sometimes our society doesn't lend itself either financially or time-wise to put the energy needed, I think, into meeting the dietary guidelines. So we hope, you know, that this class will help students sort of understand a lot of barriers, especially that we have in Arkansas. What are we the sixth ranked in obesity um last year i think was when i what i googled um oh, and we're high in high blood pressure and diabetes yeah, we're third we're, in the nation for diabetes seventh for cancer 13 for stroke and we lead in heart disease so all of these diseases can be linked back to you know poor um, nutritional choices and low levels of physical activity if you're in a party you tell people what to do do you get like 
oh, I want to ask you about intermittent fasting. Or, oh, I want to hear if doing burpees after age 40 is bad for my knees. Do you get those questions off the clock? I, mean, I ask Aaron those questions. <laughs> That's fair. You're, <laughs> you're calling. You, on Monday about running versus walking. Yes. Um, <laughs> but more often than specific questions, I get guilt explanation. Mm. So, yeah, I know exercise is good for me, but this is why I don't do it. Um, a lot of caveats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From my parents to everybody. But I find that food and nutrition is also really emotional and personal. So usually I've learned now that I'm a little bit older to just listen because it you can't argue mm. with some people. Like facts don't work. So what I try to do now is just listen or ask why do you think that rather then argue what I know is the science because if, if someone lost 50 pounds doing a particular fad diet, you can't argue science. And then I think, you know, nutrition is personalized. So if it worked for you, great. Um, but if people actually read all those books, they all take you back to one place. High fiber, high fruit and vegetable intake, low refined sugars, low salt. So um, – I try to stay – I don't right. let people know at parties anymore because it's a buzzkill. In advance of this uh, series, which is later, but you are going to do a public presentation, right? What will you do with that? Because that's not, you know, a semester long. That's like 45 or 50 minutes. How do you decide what you want to talk about in that? A lot what we did with okay. you. So Very asking good. questions, raising the issue about nutrition, physical activity, literacy, giving a little bit about kind of the background and the gaps in, in the state. Um, because we use every opportunity to reach the public and because everybody needs this information, whether or not you're going to take the class or not. Um, so if we can tell you a little bit about what is a macronutrient, we're going to take advantage of that. And what are the U.S. physical activity guidelines um, kind of as a, a public message to get out there. Uh, and where can you find your information? Mm-hmm. Yep. I like it. I'm hoping that a macronutrient is in a macaroon, but I'm guessing it's not. The macaroons have lots of macronutrients. There's only Seriously? Three. There's only three of them. Only three? Protein, carbohydrates, and fat. So oh. I actually, as someone who studies protein, had to ask a student, like, what is everyone talking about on Instagram about counting your macros? I'm like, do they just mean protein, carbs, and fat? So that's what it is. Oh, and this. all your food, those are the three things besides alcohol that provide calories in your diet. Jamie Baum, director of the Center for Human Nutrition and an associate professor in the Department of Human Science, and Aaron Howie-Hickey, an associate professor of exercise science, will lead the University of Arkansas Honors College Symposium Good Medicine next fall. A public preview lecture is scheduled for Monday, this coming Monday, the 13th, at 5.15 p.m. in Gearhart Hall Auditorium on the University of Arkansas campus. That lecture is free and open to the public. KUAF is supported by Dr. Kathleen Wong, a psychiatrist providing infusion therapy for treatment of depression and anxiety disorders. Following NIMH protocol, studies show ketamine infusion therapy can reduce suicidal ideation and is an effective alternative when other treatments fail. drkathleenwong.com for more information. This is Ozarks at Large. With me in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio once again, our Milton Gray and Catherine Schultz. Welcome back. Thanks, Kyle. 
You know, a few decades ago, I had a student from Denmark who was an excellent student and for the most part had a really good grasp of the English language. He had to make up an exam one day and ask me about a sentence he was working on. He was supposed to write something about making a cake, mm-hmm. and he asked, what do you call it, a, a baking box? And, of course, the failure to know the phrase cake pan mm-hmm. was because his first language was not English. Right. I don't have that excuse. <laughs> <laughs> Nor I. Age is my excuse for not being able to come up with an everyday phrase that I know well. The one that gets me constantly is I can never remember the words ruler or yardstick. And I'll say, hand me that measuring thing. <laughs> That's awesome. (laughs) Have you experienced that yet? I have. I don't think, for me, it's not a consistent thing, but yeah. I. Oh, yeah, yeah, true. But I mean, mine is. Okay. (laughs) Interestingly, this experience has a scientific term. Of course it does. The tip of the tongue phenomenon. Psychologists define it as a feeling that accompanies the momentary inability to retrieve information from memory. And it seems the harder you try to get it, the further away it goes. That's the experience I've had. Studies have shown that tots occur about once a week for younger adults and increase to about once a day for older adults. Also, researchers consider that this is caused by older adults showing retrieval failure of known words and needing more search time to find the word. I've just always said that as you get older, you've taken in more, so there's more to try to Push through to get the right word. The the uh, uh, the memory is full. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lecturer in the School of Psychology at the University of Birmingham found in her latest study that fitter people, people who are more fit, mm-hmm. are less likely to experience taut moments than those who lack fitness. So, well, I mean, the connection between brain sure. and fitness. You bet. You bet. Until then, mm-hmm. let's enjoy some pretty funny tots okay. found on Board Panda website, on mm. the Board Panda website. <clears throat> These supposedly actually occurred. Okay. And, of course, I've made a quiz for you. That is fantastic. <laughs> okay. Kyle, what do you think someone meant when they talked about a Christmas llama? A reindeer. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Oh, you're going to like a lot of these. Okay. What might be an angry parade? Uh, A mob? No. Um, An angry parade. I'm trying to think of... uh... A mob might be doing this, but... Oh, 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 like maybe a protest. Yeah, protest, yeah. Yeah. Uh, A cylindrical water storage device. Water bottle? Uh, yeah, or a Water cup. tank? Oh, cup. cup. Okay. <laughs> what about a party muffin? <laughs> party muffin. Um, uh, so what would be a, like a like a croissant or a... No. Muffin. Muffin. A cupcake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Party muffin. I love it. What if... <laughs> this one I love. Mm-hmm. What if I ask you for... <laughs> <laughs> All right. What if I ask you for a can of bug murder? <laughs> a can of bug murder. Um, like off or rain? Yeah, bug spray. Okay. <laughs> what about a bug spatula? Oh, that's a fly swatter. Yeah. <laughs> can you guess what a sportition is? A statistician? No. Sportition? Sport. Sportition. Dermatologist? No. Okay. <laughs> 
Think of the word sportition. <laughs> I'm thinking of the word sportition. What, what um, is it, what, what's the short sport? The short sport. No, what, no. So the shortening, shortening, shortening the word sport to spore. No, just no. <laughs> Take the word. The base word is sport. Okay. As in basketball. Okay. So someone who plays a sport. Yeah. Oh, an athlete. athlete. <laughs> I gotcha. Not only can people not spell it right. they, or pronounce it, they right. can't remember it. <laughs> a dead people field. Cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> a map of the year. Mm-hmm. Calendar. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, that's really <laughs> that accurate. Yeah. I know. What about... <laughs> not going to be able to get through that. Right. What about sausage tweezers? <laughs> Tongs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm in the kitchen. Hand me that heat gauntlet. <laughs> heat gauntlet. Yeah. Oh, uh, like an oven mitt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what are your breath sacks? What are your breast sacks? Breath. Oh, that okay. <laughs> breath. Those would be artificial. Taste but. buds? Huh? Taste buds? Breath sacks. S A C K S? Yeah. Breath sacks. Where does your breath come from? Your mouth. No. Your lungs. Yeah. <laughs> your lungs. <laughs> right. Okay. What would a compressed horse? Be <laughs> a Shetland pony, a pony. Okay. <laughs> With a fast food soda, mm-hmm. you might want a drink hat. Uh, a lid. <laughs> <laughs> they look more like drink hats. They, than do. they do. They lid. do. I like I, a lot of these. Make a lot I of know. sense. Yes. Kyle, beware the stinky cat. Skunk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Some New Year's resolutions might lead to a muscle hangover. Aches and pains. Mm-hmm. Soreness. Okay. Soreness, right. Same thing. <laughs> All right. What's a disco chicken? <laughs> so someone was saying something, and they said, oh, you, you did know, you see that disco dis- chicken? That, 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 dis- that disco chicken. Uh, a rooster? Mm, why would a rooster I don't be disco? know. Well, because it's colorful. What's even more colorful? What bird is even more colorful? A peacock. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're called nothing but disco chickens from here on out. Oh, my gosh. I love that. And what is party paper? Crepe paper? Mm, yeah, Actually, I would think that, but what if you chopped it up into pieces? Confetti. Yeah. I love disco chicken. I do too. Uh, you can hear it in your. You no. hear it as a song, don't you? Yes. Disco chicken. Yeah. <laughs> Kyle, I bet during your life, at least once, you were a dude's maid. Oh, a groomsman. Yeah. 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 Oh, yes. Several times. Yes. Who you gonna call if you need an ant exorcist? Uh, a, an exterminator. Yeah. <laughs> These are good. Do you know what a math box might be? Do I know what a math box? I'm doing my homework. Hand me that math box. Okay, the first thing, the first thing that came into my mind, uh, it's not a slide rule. It's a um, calculator. There you go. Yes. That's it. <laughs> All right. And what's a moobiest? A moobiest. 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 <laughs> 
it, it, it's funny to me that someone could come up with the word beast but not cow. It's yeah. funny how the mind oh, works. I, yeah. yeah, I mean, since I have lost a hormone typical to younger women, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. I can't think of mm-hmm. cow, mm. you know. Sure. Here, here's a funny one. This is, I think, my ma- favorite one. Okay. <laughs> if I can get it out without right. What is a noodle stay water go? A noodle stay water, water go. go. Um, what are those like a? Yeah, you're thinking too fancy. Oh, <laughs> she was looking at my uh, <laughs> arm motion because I was thinking of the thing that you bring. Yeah, you get you, pasta out of a dish. That? It's got a that's got an interesting word. Yeah, too, well, we I can't, can't think of it. <laughs> yeah. I call a noodle stay water or water go. Oh, 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 uh, a yeah. strainer. Yeah, yeah, a, cal- a colander. Colander strainer. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. What about a battle unicorn? A battle unicorn, um, a rhinoceros. It is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Metal money coins. Mm-hmm. Huh. Don't know if you've ever had to use these, but what are hold up sticks? Hold up sticks. So I instantly went to like a bank robbery, but that's probably no, not, not that kind of hold up. Okay, hold up. Uh, like um, oh, like walking sticks or but crutches. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Yes. What are long sleeved shorts? Pants. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this one is good. What is a spray screamer? A spray screamer. Um, like a fire hose? N- no. A screamer. Screamer. So something that yells. Uh, yeah, spray. Um, and you've got it in your hand. I, he's seen moving his hand. you got it in your hand. So if I push it, it screams. Uh-huh. Air horn. There you go. <laughs> ah. <laughs> Spray screamer is better. <laughs> Copyright that. <laughs> yeah. What about a bird leaf? A feather. Yeah. <laughs> and finally, breakfast soup. Oatmeal, porridge, uh, or cereal? Oh, yeah. cereal. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kyle, it's been fun being on the uh, uh, sound box with you. <laughs> our um, our angry um, wordetician is Catherine Sherlds. <laughs> Tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, the challenges of finding quality, affordable childcare here and elsewhere. Childcare providers are one of the last industries to really adopt the internet, and COVID has has definitely helped things um, in terms of childcare providers getting online. And certainly, like Winnie was sort of in the right place at the right time. Childcare and more tomorrow on Ozarks at Large at noon and at 7 p.m. on KUAF. You can also listen with the free. Ozarks at Large podcast available wherever you listen, including at KUAF.com. Entries are still open for NPR's annual Tiny Desk Contest. 
The 2023 contest is open to all unsigned musicians through March 13th. All you need is an original song, a video of you performing it, and a desk. For the full list of entry rules and to see both current and past entries, go to tinydeskcontest.npr.org. Thank you. Thank you. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Berryville. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. By the way, the song we heard after my uh, visit with the Militant Grammarian, right on the tip of my tongue, mm-hmm. 1971, Brenda and the Tabulations. I would not have guessed that. That was not on the tip of my tongue, <laughs> that name. Reached number 10 on the U.S. R&B charts in 1971. All right. I've been waiting almost 33 years to get that song <laughs> on the air. And, and all, all it took, provided, yes. All it took was Catherine Sherald's. <laughs> That's right. Matthew produced today's show in the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2. Contributors today included Jacqueline Froelich, Anna Pope, Daniel Carruth, Catherine Sherald's, the staff, the news staff at KUAR in Little Rock. We were able to put together today's show with content from them. KUAR, by the way, public radio for Little Rock and Central Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Too early to talk about the weekend? I don't think so. Okay, good. I just want to remind listeners that we have a great slate of programs all through Saturday and all through Sunday. Absolutely. Um, it's been a minute, which is Saturday mornings at 10, mm-hmm. one of my favorites. Latino USA, Sunday afternoons at 3, on the media, uh, Sunday mornings at 11. And we have great local programming, too. The Vinyl Hour always has top-notch stuff on Saturdays. Saturday night at 5. Pick and Post with Mike Shirky, Shades of Jazz with Robert Ginsburg, Generic Blues Show with Paul Kelso. I understand if it's hard to keep track of all of them and when you can listen to them. Mm-hmm. But guess what? What? <laughs> we, <laughs> you did that very well. We have a way that you can find out our weekend schedule. That's very true. KUAF.com slash schedule. Did you know if you just type that in, it'll take you right to it? I did. And uh, you can see a day-by-day schedule or for the whole week. That's right. All right. Thank you for listening on this Tuesday from the Carver Center for Public Radio. I'm Kyle Kellums. I'm Matthew Moore. Be well.